buddy. Great, good. We'll take, we'll take it. Hey, you guys are not going to want to miss, I think, next week, because you see these leaves out here? I think they're going to be, like, peak prime. I think, like, like, I've been all over Colorado in the last few weeks. I'm, like, a Colorado expert right now because I've been driving everywhere. And uh, I think right now you want to get in the mountains and go see leaves. This is, like, peak time right now. We're going this afternoon, our family. Did you know that? We're going? We're going. Um, uh, show of hands. Quick show of hands. This is, this is church. We can be honest. This is a safe place, right? We can, we can be honest with, uh, with our answers here. How many of you have ever gotten extremely mad and maybe said choice words towards somebody? <laughs> People are already raising their hand. While driving, these are for the drivers in the room. Yep, okay, thank you for your honesty. You know, and you're just like yelling and you're like, I wish I knew their name because then I could cuss them out better or whatever. Um, how about, how many of you have ever yelled at a TV before? Okay, oh, kids, we got the ki- okay, we got the kids on that one. Um, how many of you have ever had an imaginary scene in your head where you told somebody off, you know, you beat them up, you know, you, you did whatever you, like you wanted to, you know, just, right? Take your angst out. Um, here's one, last one. How many of you ever come home from school or work and something happened at school or work that had nothing to do with your family, but you're pretty sure that your family got the brunt of it? of your anger. Man, you guys, I love the honesty in the room. This is so good, right? Can I just pray for us quick? Let's just, let's just, let's just do that. I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to start with a word of prayer this morning. God, help us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for creating this place for us to come together, to be honest with each other, to be honest with you, with what's going on in our hearts. And I pray that you would, uh, you would help us, that you would heal us, that you would uh, make us stronger as a result of today. Amen. That's all I have for today. What if I just ended right there? So we're in this series called um, Better Off Without Them. Go ahead and put that slide up, Trevor. It's called Better Off Without Them. It's kind of a play on words. It's because it's basically this, this idea that we all have a them we all have a they, you know, like a group of people or a person, if they would just stop doing this, we'd be better off, you know, like we'd be better off without them messing things up, that kind of stuff. Thems could be any type of category of people, the haters to the media. The media is a, a big one. If the me- I've heard so many people say that if the media would change their way, it's like, what does that even mean? Like, where would we even start to change the whole thing called the media, right? Who do, you, who do you talk to about that, right? Social media, the scammers. Been hearing a lot about the scammers lately. And if they would be like, who are these people? How they sleep at night? The phone calls to, to elderly, you know, to, to youth, to just like, just, you know, messing up their lives. The Republicans, the Democrats, the, the libs, the dems, the, the, conser- the religious right, uh, you know, that we all have thems when it comes to politics, probably. The entitled white, the jocks, you know, the students, you got the jocks, you got the mean girls, you've got the, the corporations, the unions, you know, like the different sides of the coin. The 1%, that's one I've heard, you know, the, the elite rich, right? The man, the government, like we, we all have, if, if, if you watch in the first, literally the first um, the first uh, Sunday of this, of this series, the first 
part of it, I said it was just called watch your language. Just, and it was like pay attention to your language. And maybe you've noticed it in the last couple of weeks of like, you know what, I do have a them. I do have a they. I do have a, a, a group of people or a person. My boss would just get out of the way. Oh, a them is anyone who it, it's like it's just, if they would just, you know, fill in the blank, knock it off, get their act together. If they would just quit running, you know, ruining America. If they would just stop messing with me or just leave me alone. And it, it like blank would be so much better. My life would be so much better. Our country would be so much better. Society would be, the world, humanity would be so much better. My dinner would be so much, I mean, it's just like, it can go all sorts of different places because we all have a they and we all have a them. And you know you have a them with, if, if you have imaginary debates. We already discussed that. If you find yourself, here's, a, here's another way you know you have a them. If you find yourself more jaded or cynical than you used to be, and now I, I just, I struggle with this one because like, I've, I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty positive person, but I've noticed that as I age, I have become more jaded and more cynical. And I wonder if it's like, is that, is that just adulting? Is that like, just like, like that comes with being an adult is just cynicism? I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. But my guess is if you find yourself more jaded than you used to be even five years ago, you might have a them or a they. Here's another way you know you have a them or a they, is if every once in a while the people around you that love you the most say something like this, who are you talking to right now? <laughs> who, who you, no, not even who you talk. not that you're having like a conversation by yourself, although if you do, that might be because you have a they or a them. I'm just saying like, yeah, who's, like if you have people every once in a while, they're like, who's they? Who, who are you talking about? Who's them? You keep talking about the infamous they. <laughs> who, who are they? Who, who are you talking about right now? And here's the problem with having a them. The problem is, is we're right. Okay, actually, let me rephrase that. The problem is, is we're not wrong. <laughs> when, we're not, when it comes to our they's and them, we're rarely always right because we have this jaded prejudice, and we, we, we build this bias, we build this fire within us that help, that blinds us from seeing reality sometimes. But the, the problem is, is that there are times where we're not wrong. Our life would be better if they would knock it off. Our country would be better if this wasn't happening. It, that, like society, humanity, the world would be a better place if certain people would stop doing what they're doing. That's one of the problems about this whole thing is, is we're not wrong. But the real problem when it comes to this conversation, the real problem is actually not that we are right, not that, they, you know, that it's true that they're ruining things. The real problem with them is not actually something that's happening out there. What I'm going to argue today and, and, and through this series, we're, we're arguing that the real problem is not necessarily them and what they're doing out there, it's what they and what we're allowing them to do in here. Because here's the thing, chances are they're not here right now. Okay, maybe they are, but even still, they can't listen for you, you're here now. And if it, our heart is in angst because of them, 
and because of they, because of what is happening around us, is there anything we can do about it? Um, let me just let me just let me just say that like, is there anything shy of them just ah, changing? Okay. Say let's just say for the sake of argument, they're never going to change. Is there anything that we can do to make our lives better while they don't change? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if there was something that we could do that we could change inside ourselves even if they won't change? Here's the question that I want us to, to just kind of usher us into it. This is a good question. This is a good question for you and me to think about. It, it, guys, I am right there with you. I have thems and days. Ask my kids. I mean, like, I, I, I rant all the time. And they're like, who are you talking about? Here's the question I want to pose. Can we be happy while they are them? You, you understand the question. It's a weird question if you hadn't, you know, the, without hearing, talking about what we've talked about. This makes sense, right? If they're going to continue being them, can you be happy? Is it possible to be happy while they are them? It's a good question, isn't it? It's good, it's good to think about. Because it, what it does is it forces us to think, okay, so if I can't be happy while they are them, who's in control? Us? Nope. Them. Is that what you want? No. I, I, know, that's, I know that's not what you want because you don't like them. So can you be happy while they are them? Is it possible? And then the, the second question is, is, let's go theological since it's church. Does God think we can be happy while they are them? Does God think that we can be happy even while they are being them? And the spoiler alert answer is yes. And that's what I want to talk about today. The answer is yes, which is why we're saying during this series that, we, that, 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 that we're better off without a them. That's the title of the series, is what can we do to, to ditch them. I think the, the title of today's sermon is Breaking Up With Them. How to break, it's a, it's, today's about how to break up with your them. And to do so, I, I want to do something, this is a little bit different. I was thinking about it as I was preparing this week. I was like, this isn't, this isn't much like a sermon. This isn't a very good sermon in that it's not necessarily rooted in, in a scripture verse. But instead, what I want us to do is I want us to look at two groups of people. One was a group of people leading up to the time of Christ, and one was a, a, active after the life of Christ. Uh, one group had a, a lot of control and power, it had a lot of thems. We're going to find out that they had, the, 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 the first group had a lot of thems leading up to the life of Christ. And they never really got the traction that they wanted. They never saw happen what they desired to see happen. The other had, on, on, the, on, the, 
other side of the coin, the other group, the group that was active after Christ, had little to no control. Didn't seem, they didn't seem to have a them. We'll see that in a second. And they changed the world. And here's, here's the groups. The, the group leading up to the time of Christ, I'm going to talk about the Pharisees. And then I want to talk about the early church. The followers of Jesus post the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the difference between those two groups. And what's interesting is, here's my disclaimer. I feel bad for the, the Pharisees. If you grew up in church, you hear the Pharisees and you think Slytherin. Or you hear the Imperial Death March. You know, da, 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 da. That's the Pharisees. They're always the bad guys. And in reality, they're not. I'm going to actually show that here in a second. They, what they desired was actually a pretty noble thing. And the way that they were going about it was actually commendable in a way. What they, they're, they're not necessarily the bad guys. And honestly, I'm also not trying to throw the Pharisees or any Jewish people or people group under the bus. Because uh, like the New Testament, like basically almost without exception, the whole New Testament was written by Jewish authors. The Pharisee, in fact, there's, there's parts of Acts that let us know that some of the Pharisees became followers of Jesus and probably, like, led to that movement that changed the world. So, like, I'm not trying to throw the Pharisees under the bus. In fact, let's just talk about who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were a religious group of people, a Jewish religious group of people that were very involved in the temple but were separate from the temple. They weren't priests. They weren't, uh, there's a group called the Sadducees that was cl closer to the temple worship of things. The Pharisees were the, they saw themselves, they, they arose a couple hundred years before Jesus came on the scene. And they saw themselves, it, during the same time that they rose up, the Roman Empire started to get steam. Alexander the Great and all of that came, and, and Alexander the Great dominated the, the known world in a way that had not been seen even with the Medes, the Persians. There had been all these expansions like boom, 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 and then finally boom, like Alexander the Great really took over a lot. And that laid the foundation for what would become the Roman Empire. And during, around that same time, the Pharisees came to be a group of people that were religious rulers within the Jewish system. And they saw their job as to be religious interpreters. In, in people who would interpret what it meant to be Jewish, what it meant to follow Yahweh, Jehovah, what it meant to follow God in an increasingly Greek world. Okay? They, had see, they came out after, the, they came after the, the, uh, just a little bit of brief Old Testament history. God takes Israel as a nation. He saves them from Egypt, right? He says, I want to be my, your God, and you can be my people. And the people say, amen, we'll do that. And then they, he's like, here's the law. You follow me, and, 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 and you'll be blessed in the land, uh, flowing with milk and honey. The land that I promised to Abraham. Some of this ring a bell if you grew up in church. And then time goes on, and they're like, yes, we'll do that. And then they go and do the opposite thing over the next hundreds of years like ongoing. It's this constant struggle between God. Will he, what will he do to love the people that he loves, to show grace, but also be like, you know, you broke the covenant again and not be a doormat. And finally, he's like, all right, you're going into exile. Everything you know, the country that you know, the culture that you know, all of that is going to be taken away. 
from you, and you're going to be taken over. They got taken over by the Babylonians and then the Assyrians, and they got, they got different parts of, the, of Israel got moved for longer, right? And so that was in recent history. So if they get back from that exile, they get back to the promised land, they get back to Israel, they rebuild Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple, they get their life back. But very fresh in the minds of the people back, like right around that time, this would be three, four hundred years before Christ, is this idea that, man, if we are not pure, if we don't keep the law, if we break our covenant with Yahweh, what will happen? We'll get, we'll, God, God will he'll punish us again and we'll get put into exile yet again. So that's all happening while the Roman Empire is coming onto the scene. And the Roman Empire did something different than the other rulers did. Instead of coming and just trashing the whole place, taking over everybody and taking them back to Rome, they're like, all right, um, we win. Okay, so we win the war. Obviously, we're stronger. You guys keep living life. You keep doing what you do. Just pay tribute to us. Right? And everything will be Let's just say everything will be kosher, Israel, Israel, you know? If you do that, we're cool. And then they go back to Rome, and there was overlords and overseers and, and that kind of thing, right? So the Pharisees are in that, and they're, they're trying to hold on to their, 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 their religion. They're trying to be this pure nation because at any moment, Rome could come back and just, boom, wallop them if they got mad at them. And the path to that, that, that life, to keeping their life, to the Pharisees, was purity. To remain holy. To be set apart. Don't become, and meanwhile, there's this cultural thing that's like never happened before in the known world. Where like there's a single culture that is threatening to become the dominant culture. It's called Hellenization. This idea that like... That, that Greek culture was kind of permeating everywhere in that known world. And the Pharisees were very much against that. No, we, we are not going to become Greek. We're going to become, we are, we are Jewish. We are followers of Yahweh. And so as they interpreted scripture, that's, so that's the backdrop. And they're the ones in charge of interpreting the scriptures, right? And they're the ones in charge of making sure that the nation knows what to do to be Jewish. Imagine having that job. It'd be tough. And so out of that, there's 613 or 614 laws within the, the Torah, the Old Testament, the, the law, right? And what had happened over the hundreds of years since the law was given, and the Pharisees were a part of this, is, okay, what does it mean to be Jewish? Okay, he says not to wear these type of clothes. What exactly does that mean? And they would put laws on top of laws. You know how laws need to be redefined every once in a while? Like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good one. But it's like, yeah, somebody tries, someone finds a loophole, right? And then the law needs to be re rewritten, amended, or lengthened. That's what had happened. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, there are thousands of, of laws on top of the 614 laws given by God in the Old Testament. And it's become so, and at first, what was kind of cool, the Pharisees, they were protectors, they were religious in, uh, interpreters, they were popular 
at certain points in time among the Jewish people because one of the things that the, um, the Pharisees did was actually elevated the common Jewish person that wasn't a, a priest, that wasn't in the temple, and said, no, you have a role in this too. You can participate too with your, your morality, with your sacrifice. You can, like, like it had become this elite thing, and the Pharisees came along, and you're like, they were for all Jews, right? And so the Jews liked that. So they're interpreting these laws, but it got so cumbersome and so focused on this purity, it was breaking people. Instead of bringing people to God, it was actually chasing people away from him because it wasn't possible. How, how many of you have ever felt that in church? How many of you have ever been uh, uh, interested in, in following God, but you're just overwhelmed by it. I remember, like, this, this, this church exists for the person who's, like, looking to, to, you know, looking to maybe come back, check things out, maybe never really taken a look at, at Christianity before. We're, we want to put the bottom rungs on for people like that. I remember early on, a couple years into starting CLC, um, we had a team of people, you know, like a staff that we were just, like, setting up events, doing this, like we got this program on this night, we got Sunday on this Sunday, you know, like all these, these things. And I, we had a family that we had invited to church. It hadn't been to church in 20, 30 years. And they wanted to check out coming back to church. And I remember like I was, I was talking with my buddy, or um, I think Jake the drummer was talking to him. And Jake was like, yeah, we got this prayer meeting on this night, and we got this coming up. And, and our buddy was like, he saw his, our buddy was just kind of like, whew. He's like, what? What's going on? He's like, church is overwhelming. <laughs> you ever felt that way? Like, there's so much to do, you know? That, that was the world that Jesus entered into. And what's interesting is the Pharisees didn't, weren't doing it unintentionally. What they wanted was no, a noble thing. They desired for purity in the nation so that God could bless them and they could thrive even under the Roman Empire. But with all of these laws and all of these rules, what happened was there bred this fear within the Pharisees. Because all of a sudden, can you imagine how many they's and them's arise out of this expectation, right? If we don't stay pure, God can't or won't bless us. We're not sure which one, okay? And if God can't or won't bless us because we don't stay pure, he can't or won't send the Messiah who would come and, 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 and take us out of this bondage and reestablish this on you know, the, the throne of David, put us as a mighty world power again. And the result was there's all sorts of thems. There's the slacker Jews who aren't pure. There's the sellout Jews who are like, you know, like, like in bed with Rome including like tax collectors who are Jewish people that Rome hired. Because remember, Rome's not like, oh, we're not going to pay, we're, we're not going to take tribute from you. We'll hire somebody else to do that. And as long as we're getting enough, we don't care what they do. So that's what a tax collector was. So there's the, the sellout Jews, that, that they were a them, they were a they for the Pharisees for sure, and probably other people too. The Samaritans were kind of these half-bred Jews that they didn't know what to do with, again, under that purity thing. And of course, the Romans themselves are running around everywhere. And at this point in time, if you were to touch somebody who wasn't ceremonially clean, you became ceremonially unclean. And there's Romans everywhere. Imagine how many they's and them's are in for the Pharisees. 
and it doesn't end well for them. Jesus comes on the scene claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ. That's why we call him Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. It's a title. It's Jesus the Messiah. And it's like the Pharisees. You watch the Pharisees. This is so interesting in the Gospels. You guys need to read your Bibles more. There's so much fascinating stuff. You understand? Even just understanding, I just what? I did like seven minutes of background. Understanding what you just, I just told you makes the Gospel. It's fascinating. He, they come on the scene. The Pharisees are some of the first people to greet him. Oh, he's saying he's the Messiah. And, and they, it's, like, it's like you can almost see in the Gospels, they're coming with a laundry list. Oh, good, you're here. Now that you're here, we th we're thinking you might start by whipping the slackers into shape, pour some wrath on those sellouts. We're not quite sure what to do. The Samaritans, dealer's choice, you do whatever you want, but definitely dominate the Roman Empire. Thoughts? Like, that's literally their attitude. If you are the Messiah, you're going to be exactly what I think you should be. If, if you're the, the Christ, and, and I'm a religious leader, and I've interpreted Scripture, this is my life. You should do what I want to do. Now, just since we're so honest this morning, how many of you have ever done that with God? Raise your hand. And, and, and not without warrant, okay? Not without warrant, because I know you guys, like, you've been to church. You've spent a lot of time pursuing God. You've read the Bible. You know the stories. So you got some clout coming before God. You, you can come in and say, you know, God, I know you, so I think you should fill in the blank. And while we're on the subject, can we talk about them and they? We do that, right? Again, I don't want to throw the Pharisees under the bus. I, I actually... I feel their pain. You know, the other phrase, unrealized expectations. Expectations that you had in life that you didn't even realize you had. We had a birthday this last week in our home. Holy crap. Unrealized expectations. If you got kids and you throw a birthday, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is terrible and wonderful at the same time. But it's like, and then we're going to do this, and then it's 7. All of a sudden, they know, they, they, they know what 735 is. A kid knows, the, like, what, they're, like, they're using watches, you know. 735, we're going to do this, and then we'll open presents, and we'll eat cake, and then we'll all hold hands. You know, it's just like, and it's like, and if it doesn't happen like that, we all have those expectations, right? Unrealized expectations. And this is where the Pharisees at, are at, and instead, the Messiah comes, Jesus comes to see him, and what does he do? He has no thems. <laughs> Isn't that, the God of the universe, who is there because we've messed up his universe, and he has no thems. It's like he has, am I right? Like, if you've read the Gospels, he has no theys. He, has, he shows extreme compassion to those slackers because he sees that they're outside of the law. Out, they've, been, they've been hurt by a system. He hangs out with and at times even recruits the sellouts. Hey, Matthew, tax collector, come follow me. 
And he asks them that while Matthew is gathering taxes. He's in the process of doing it. He leaves his table and follows Jesus. Who else? The Samaritans. He goes right through Samaria, Samaria all the time. The first time he ever tells someone that it's, he's the Christ was a Samaritan woman. And then, of course, Rome at the end of his ministry. He, he, he reaches out to Roman centurions. Uh, Roman soldiers are, are at the cross, and they're like, surely this is the dude. And the Bible records that. And then he says, okay, guys, it's been done. I, I've, I've died. I've rose from the dead. I've defeated death. Now you go into where? Not just Jerusalem. Not just Judea. Not just, not just Samaria. The whole world. That's his vision. And the sad irony is, with every single action he did, the Pharisees said, oh, no. That's all wrong. And they, the, the sad irony is they missed the very thing they were looking for. The one thing they wanted most was lost on them. And personally, honestly, in, in light of this series, I think a lot of it had to do with their theys and their thems. Because if they would just get their act together, if they would stop sleeping with Rome, and if, if, if Jesus would just, I, I think they, they found themselves saying, if Jesus, if you're the Messiah, if you would do it, you, you would do this, you would hang out with us, you wouldn't hang out over here with them. And they missed him. Guys, I don't want that to happen to us. Honestly, if Jesus had a they or a them, it was me. It, it was the guy with the microphone, the guy interpreting stuff. It was the, the more religious you are, the, like, this is what the sad part is, and this is kind of like, here's, here's kind of the big idea that I'm drawing from the Pharisee's life. Fear is, is a road that rarely leads to Jesus. Fear is a road that rarely leads to actually to God. I think that's why in the Bible they're like, don't fear. Don't freak out. Quit worrying about stuff. Like, like, like that Jesus has a lot to say about fear. And fear, it, it can lead us away from him. That's why he fought against it so hard. And honestly, at the bottom of our days in them, let's be honest, it's fear. For the Pharisees, it was fear. They were trying to control the people. No, 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 don't do that. No, 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 do that. And they miss Jesus because, of, because they're, they're, uh, they're blinded by these expectations and their fear. I think the same thing can happen to us. It happened to the Pharisees. It happened to Paul. Remember Paul, the Apostle Paul? He was actually a Pharisee. And, and he, was, he, was, he thought he was doing right by Jesus. And Jesus had to knock him off his donkey <laughs> to, to get it. Hey, 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 it's me. You're, you're fighting me. What's it got to do? What's Jesus got to do to shake you up? To say, it's me. Judas. How did they? Of them in that time, I think that was, it was actually Jesus. You, if you would just, then we could. It did not end well. Fear is a road that rarely leads to Jesus. 
Fear, and the reason is because fear rarely leads to trust. When we're afraid, we're not in the position to trust. So what about you? What is your fear? Who is your they? And what is that fear keeping you from? Let's look at a better way, right? Let's look at, let's look at the other group of people. Jesus died. He, lived, he has three years of ministry. Literally because of the Pharisees gets crucified. And, at, and along the way, he's like, not necessarily like, okay, I'll go. He's like, no, I, I, I'm my own man. I can stand, I want you guys to know I can stand up to you. This is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the, of the Gospels is the Pharisees come to arrest Jesus. And they're like, are you uh, a Jesus of Nazareth? And he says the phrase, I am, which is a play on the word Yahweh, which means I'm, you know, like his way of saying I'm God. And literally, like 40 men get blown over. The men that are coming with clubs and, and sticks to arrest him are you know, like blown away. They, they, they get up, dust themselves off, and then put handcuffs on Jesus. He's in control the whole time. He's not one to be manhandled, right? He, he, he faces death. Three days later, he raises from the dead. His disciples go from these piles of fear to overnight being completely different people, like, like just like unstoppable, like uh, they un, undauntable, right? Is that a word? Let's go with it. They, they, they're totally different, not because of what Jesus taught out the Good Samaritan and the, 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 all those miracles were so cool. No, the resurrection, he just defeated death. And therefore, they're like, we're not afraid anymore. Like if this guy, we're, we're, we just spent three years with this guy, we're with this guy, he just defeated death, and he says we're with us, who can be against us? This is the attitude. And, and he's like, basically everything, here's, here's what's different between the Pharisees and the early church. In the early church, everything became a win-win scenario. No matter what would happen, they, just, they literally went out with an, an attitude like, we just can't lose. You see this in the New Testament. We'll read a verse at the end that just like, that embodies this. We just can't lose. And here's what didn't happen when Jesus died and rose from the dead. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, nothing changed in Rome. It wasn't like he died and rose from the dead and then teleported to Rome and said, I'm Caesar now. No, he didn't do that. So, so here's the thing. Here's so, what's so interesting about the New Testament is the, the followers of Jesus in the New Testament changed overnight, not because their circumstances changed, not because Jesus defeated death and then all the theys and the thems were gone. In fact, you could argue the reality of life in the Roman Empire, oh my goodness, there's, a, there's no shortage of thems. Remember I was talking about the consolidation of power and that kind of stuff? And how, like, like, Rome was like, we don't need to take care of everything. That's what Herod's for. That's what, uh, what was another one? Pontius Pilate was another one. They weren't, they were maybe Roman citizens, but they weren't like, they weren't like Caesars. Did they, like, they didn't do a pre-interview with Herod to see, like, are you pro-Rome? Like, do you worship Zeus? They're like, we don't care. 
you get this whole area of Judea, just make sure there's no revolts and uprisings, and you can take whatever you want out of that place. And so in, because of this, that was happening all over the world. Might made right in the Roman Empire. If you were mighty and you could keep things in control, you got a job with Rome. And it didn't matter if you built that on slavery. It didn't matter if you, if you sacrificed children. It didn't matter if like, racism abound, abounded, sexism abounded. To be, it was really hard on women, children, and slaves. The Roman Empire was terrible. They, they were property. They didn't have rights. And that's the world. Like, like can, can we just, like, there, there's this thing that they used to do in the Roman Empire called exposure. If you didn't want a child, you just literally threw them in the gutter. And that was okay. In fact, that we found, that archaeologists have found full, basically, tombs of discarded children. In, in like gutters in, in, in dig on in archaeological digs in the Roman Empire. What was normal there would curl our hair here and we'd say that's not right. And, and we'd have, like like can can we just all agree that's scary? Right? That that's worse than what we have here, right? And it, it, like like it <laughs> I was thinking about like the whole move to Canada thing, if, that, if the Roman Empire, people would actually move to Canada. Republicans and Democrats would be, both be moving to Canada. Right? Every, every like 10 years, Republicans want to move to Canada and then Democrats want to move to Canada. Anyway. <laughs> Can we all agree that's worse? And yet, Christians in the early church didn't have a they and didn't have a them. They just went out in confidence that God is in control. That, that their Lord and Savior rose from the dead, somehow defeated death, and he's powerful, and he asked them to go and said, he'll be with us. So they went in droves overnight and changed the world so fast that, that historians, secular historians, are writing, have written books of like, we don't really understand how this happened. There's, there's a few different aspects, you know, like, like Christians brought in some of those exposed children. That was one of the reasons, that's one of the ways they grew. <laughs> it's just like, hey, you, you ditch a kid, we'll take them. They, they elevated women. That's one of the reasons why, like, women had a place within the Christian church. They had a voice. They, they weren't just, you know. There's all these reasons. Slaves were treated differently. All these reasons, but the, overall, it's like it happened so fast and so big, we don't know how. And here's, here's, the, here's, let's talk about this for a second. So that's the view of the Roman Empire. Here's God's view of the Roman Empire, which can now be ours because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We can look back and see there's a few things that were happening that were just perfect for the spreading of Christianity and the gospel. One was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. That there was 200 years, literally, this is crazy, like 50 years before Jesus came, this peace started. And, and, and it, I wouldn't say, I don't think Rome would, you would say Rome, the Roman Empire was a peaceful place. But for about 200 years, there weren't any major wars from, um, from Augustus all the way to Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius, you know him from, uh, what's that movie? Gladiator, that guy. 
So like 200 years, there's this peace in Rome where people could go and there wasn't big wars in the way. On top of that, you have Roman, you had, Romans were really good at building roads. They brought all sorts of technology and craftsmanship. To, I mean, I think there's still roads you can walk on that the Romans built 2,000 years ago. It's crazy. I looked it up, and it's uh, 50 to 60,000 miles of road that the Roman Empire built. Right as Jesus is saying to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Oh, and by the way, there's roads being built for you right now. That was God's view of what was happening in the Roman Empire. You know? It was said that, uh, it, it estimated that somewhere between 20 and 25% of the world's population lived in the Roman Empire at that time. That had never happened before, that one nation, one empire controlled that much of the population. And then the Apostle Paul, who was a Roman citizen and a Jew, was able to go anywhere he wanted, and he did. That was God's view of the Roman Empire. And then, of course, Hellenization, this idea of, of Greek culture going everywhere and Greek language going everywhere. So the Bibles that you, guys, you and I read, the New Testament, is not written in Hebrew, which is what the, the Pharisees and the Jews, that was their primary uh, you know, uh, a language of old that they wrote in. That was what the Old Testament was written. It wasn't in Aramaic. The, the, our New Testaments aren't written in Aramaic because that was only spoke in that little area of Judea. It's written in Greek, which was a language that was accessible to 25% of the world population at the time. You see how God's view can be different than ours? God's view of the Roman Empire was not the, the, the Pharisees' view of the Roman Empire. Even, and even all of that, the, the early church, that was not their view of the Roman Empire. They weren't like, sweet, let's go die in the Colosseum as cannon fodder for, for the games, which happened all the time in the first couple, uh, couple centuries of Christianity's existence. They weren't like, sweet, we can't, they were getting literally chased out of Jerusalem right now because the Jews don't want us there. But they knew in the back of their mind, even though we can't see where the good in this is, we just can't lose. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so they basically what I'm trying to like paint a picture of is God's sovereignty. They were confident. They didn't have they's and them's because they, they were so confident in God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is, is basically this. God is never freaking out, ever. God just doesn't freak out. He doesn't look at the world and say, oh, gosh, now what am I going to do? Oh, no, the American idea of religious freedom is being threatened. What in the world am I going to do? God never has said that. Never will say that. God never is saying, hey, oh no, China's middle class is growing and, and, and they're communists. God just doesn't think that way. He doesn't need to. God's not worried about the Supreme Court being the majority one way or the other. He just, he's, he's, he's sovereign. And his sovereignty, you know what else his sovereignty means? He's like, it means basically God's saying, I can work with that. I, I, I didn't will that, but I can work with that. Oh, and actually, 
not only can I work with that, I can work powerfully through that. I can use Rome to bring the gospel to the world to the point where Rome will, the, 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 the eternal Rome, the Rome will never fade. That Rome will be a footnote in a Nazarene's religion. It'll be a stepping stone for this thing called Christianity. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that encouraging? That God is in control. If God can do that in the Roman Empire, how much more, how much more can he do with the things that we're afraid of through them? I love this, this phrase. I wrote this in my notes. I wish I, I wish I, you know, you ever come across something and then forget where it came from and you wish you remember where it came from? This is one of those. What would you do if you were 100% confident that you would succeed? That, in essence, sums up the attitude of the early church. They couldn't lose. And so they went out and they won. And they weren't afraid. My challenge for you today is for you to break up with your them. To break up with them. And, and here's, here's how it starts. Here's how you can start breaking up with them. goes back to week one. Watch your language. Because the, the way I'm doing this now, I promise, in the next 24 hours, you'll have a conversation with somebody here, or a family member, whatever, and you'll be like, I have a them. You're gonna, it'll, like, boop, it'll just pop up because of what we're talking about here. Watch your language. And, 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 and maybe take that language and, and, and in prayer bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, I have a them. I have a they. And I choose not to be afraid. Watch your friends. That's another big one. A lot of times we sit down and we, you know how you sit down with a friend and you're like, and, and two hours go by and, and your spouse comes in or a friend comes in and you're like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're, we're solving all the, yeah, all solving all the world's problems. In the reality, you're not doing anything. You're just talking about stuff, right? But it feels good, right? Our friends feed that fear in us. We, we rally people behind us that are like, think like us. Yeah, they, if they would just stop. Watch your friends. Don't, it doesn't, you don't have to kick them to the curb. Students, this is like for sure for you. Watch your friends. If, if your life is negative right now, if, there's, if you would like more positivity in your life, watch your friends. And then lastly, watch your diet. And by diet, I mean the things that you put in your heart, mind, and soul. The reality is, like, radio, mu- like music, honestly, like, like we, the thing is, we, sometimes we listen to music that has a message, and we're like, we can handle that, or I, I'm just listening to this because it's real. It's like, yeah, maybe. Sure, it's real. But is it bringing your heart and soul and mind and spirit in the direction you want to go? Or is it just creating they's and them's? The news, does, the news is like a huge one. Watch your diet of news. Watch, what you, like, watch mo- like movies, podcasts, anything we consume with our minds, it ends up in our hearts. And then it'll pop up again. I woke up with a Billie Eilish song stuck in my head today. Where'd that come from? Listening to Billie Eilish. No other, no other option. Here's the deal. For many of us, it's hard for God to be on the throne because of what we're putting into our brains. 
the steady diet of negativity that we're eating is not keeping God on the thrones of our hearts. So we need to watch it. We need to watch what we eat. We need to watch what we, our friends, and we need to watch our language. And then second, of course, you can't just take away things. We need to put things in. We need to, I love this phrase, tune our hearts. Our hearts, because when, when we're, our hearts are out of sync with God, our hearts need to be tuned back to him. And I know I've been bringing it up a lot lately, but we have this study coming up in, in a week and a half. And we're, we're going through the spiritual disciplines. It's on Wednesday night starting on October 11th. And you can sign up for that. The spiritual disciplines are just things that we can do to break away from the world. Not disengage, just, just for a moment say, no, I, no, Lord, I know the world is not, this, this is wrong, this is wrong, I wish this was different, but I want to see you on the throne. And we can do that through prayer, we can do that through reading scripture, we do, do that by fasting from things like radio, news, music, and, and then replacing it with things that, that tune our hearts to God. That's all the disciplines are, is tune my heart to sing your praise, as the old song says. And that's what we need to do. If we have a lot of A's and them's, it, will it could destroy our souls. The, the road back is through tuning or watching that, identifying it, maybe getting rid of it, and then replacing it with things that remind us of who God is and who we really are. And centering our hearts on that. And then going and engaging a broken world. Amen? That's what it's about. That's all the Christian life is. I just summarized it faith in Jesus that transforms our hearts so that we can go and transform a broken world. I want to end with Philippians 1. This is Paul. And you find Paul in this win-win dilemma. You see literally this win-win language in this verse. And the, obviously Paul is someone with no thems. He's just confident in God's sovereignty. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. In fact, I need one too. Philippians Philippians 1, 18 through 26, or pull it up on a phone. We've got it on the screen, too. What's crazy about this, if you've read Philippians before, thank you, friend. If you've read Philippians before, you know Paul's just kind of in a good mood. Sometimes he gets a little, you know, a little snarky with his friends and, like, calls them out on stuff and, and gets a little saucy. This is not one of them. Philippians, he's, like, in a good mood. And... I'll say this, he's in jail. He's literally in chains as he writes this. And he just, he just told them, he's like, yeah, I'm in chains, but I'm in a, I'm in a good mood. And he says this, this is Philippians uh, 1, 18 through 26. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Meaning I, I'm in jail right now, but I, I just, I have a feeling that God knows what he's doing, that I will be delivered. I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. I think that might be my prayer for you today, that as you face this, that you would have sufficient courage to face these fears. Sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether, and then here he goes, whether by life, or by death. And this is the, the verse that maybe you're familiar with. For to me, to live in Christ and to die is gain. 
If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I, I get to continue doing what, I, what God has called me to do. I've found what God has called me to do. I get to go do that if I am living. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. This world, he's like, there's a lot of A's and them's in this world. There's a lot of bad things happening. If, I, if, if, if the Roman Empire kills me, which they do, if they get me, then I just, all that's left behind. It's better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your pro progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Wouldn't this be nice? Just stay with me. I know this is a long sermon. I got a lot of miles to run this week. Imagine talking to your friends this week, and that's the tenor of your speech. In a broken world, in a world that, that's doing you wrong, that he's in chains. And he's not disillusioned. That's possible. But it only happens without them. When we, when we, when we change our, our focus from them to him, it changes to this. Let me pray. God, I, I, I know I want this. I want this for me. I want this for my friends. We face so many things. Even in, there's so many things, and we're torn because we're so grateful for so many other things, but there are, there's real crap in this world that we don't like. And we know you don't like it either. And we, we admit a lot of times we, we would do things differently than you would. So I ask for sufficient courage for me and my friends to trust you, to identify our fears, call them out, do away with them, and shift our focus and our trust to you. Would you give us the fortitude and the courage to do that this week? Pray this in your name. Amen.